and you're going to be blessed. But we are. We're right in the middle of Philippians if you're on schedule between week uh, 6 and 7. I told you I'd always be transparent. I am neither ahead nor behind. You're thinking, how did, how did he pull that one off? Well, what I did was I read all the way up through Philippians, so I'm ahead there. And I'm about halfway through Leviticus. I think I'm a little behind there. But I'm just, I'm, I'm just picking one up, and if I like Exodus, I'm, I just keep reading all the way to the end. And you can do that. Just read. It's going to be good. All right, so we're right in the middle of Philippians on the schedule, and what a great day this is that Philippians centers us and gives us the truth to do the work to become disciples. And I want to read that passage one more time. I love the translation that Dr. Cole brought us this morning. This one is pretty much based on the common English Bible here. Starting in verse 5. And by the way, did you know that many, many believe that this section of Philippians may have been an early hymn that the church sang? So it would be very familiar to them, and it's also a way to teach the core of the gospel, the heart of it. But understand that he's taking this gospel principle about Jesus Christ and applying it to the way they ought to be treating one another. That's discipleship. Adopt the attitude that was in Christ Jesus. Though He was in the form of God, He did not consider being equal with God something to exploit. But He emptied Himself by taking the form of a slave and, becoming, and by becoming like a man. And when He found Himself in the form of a man, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly honored him and gave him a name above all names, so that at the name of Jesus, everyone in heaven and on earth and under the earth might bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, this statement of the, the great facts of the gospel that Jesus lets go of his divine privilege. He does not consider it something to take advantage of, to be exploited. But do you understand? I mean, the view here, the scope of the view is cosmic. Do we understand this? It's cosmic. This is God in heaven, this is us. We wrap up with everything you know, in heaven, on earth, and even below the earth. And in this cosmic scale, Jesus Christ, who can claim equality with God, says, I'm not going to use that to my advantage. But He lets go of it. He humbles Himself. He becomes like a servant. And then God exalts Him. Now, Paul is saying in this letter to the Philippians that that great, and I mean, right now, you know, some of us might be of the mind, we might be of the mind, well, this is big theology. What's this got to do with anything? This is big, deep theology. It's already time to start, you know, what? Working on your grocery list and everything, right? Because this is that big-headed stuff. This is the stuff you expect me to do for you. This is the stuff you expect the elders to do. Paul says, no. Are you listening to me now? Paul says no. He says, you're supposed to take that 
And that's going to guide you in how you should live. That's going to make a difference in the way that you treat your children. That's going to make a difference in the way you treat your friends. That's going to make a difference in the way that you treat your grandparents, in the way that you treat your spouse. That's going to make a difference in the way you see your coworkers and the way you conduct your life. Because he wants us to adopt that mindset or to have that same mind. The message today has one major point. Change your mind. Change your mind. Now what I've given you on this screen here, everybody take a look at this screen. You can take a, you can take a, a, a photo of this screen. This screen... I'm giving you what Paul is saying in the column in the black. The column in the red is what we sort of get away with in our culture. And I'm going to try to explain. First of all, Paul says, we have nothing to brag about if we take on the mind of Christ. We have nothing to brag about. Paul will do this himself in chapter 3 when he says, you know what, if we're going to boast, if we're going to boast in our accomplishments, if we're going to boast in how long we've been following God, he goes, I, I can win that, I can win that context, contest. That's my paraphrase of Paul. He even goes through and he lists his resume. And then right at the end of it, he takes his resume of all the great things that he's done, listing it off. He's got all the religious pedigree. The example would be somebody saying, you know, I've been, I've been five generations in the churches of Christ. I mean, my dad was a minister. His dad was a minister. We purchased, we helped build the church here and all that. We, uh, each and every one of us, we were baptized as young people. We have been faithful all of our lives. And Paul takes all of that and he says, it doesn't matter. He says, what matters is knowing Christ. He says, what matters is knowing Him. Now, it's not to say that those things aren't important and those things aren't meaningful. Of course they have meaningful. But Paul, in chapter 3, says, I would consider it all a loss. I do consider it a loss because of the better worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So Paul's saying, we have nothing to brag about. He says, I don't even have anything to brag about. But you stop and think about it. In our culture today, we allow ourselves and we allow others to get away with a little bit of climbing the ladder. In fact, we even encourage it. You know, if you're under my college students, my, my young people, watch for this, okay? I need to tell you all this because I want you to kind of be, be forewarned. I'm going to do this to you even. I'm going to encourage you in your own pursuits and the things that you want to do. And I'm going to tell you to work hard. I'm going to tell you to climb the ladder because I want you to get one more rung up the ladder. Now, I'm well-intentioned in that. I'm a well-intentioned elderly man. Couldn't resist. But, but, what matters most is that you know Christ. The success level that any of us have in this world, the accomplishments that any of us, however we get our name published, what matters more is how you know Christ and how you follow Him. Now, see, we, turn, we get turned off by selfish ambition and vain conceit. We know who that person is. You know, that person that comes in always bragging about themselves. In fact, what's very hard to, to do there is to develop the kind of mind of Christ and the heart of Christ that we don't let that person constantly annoy us. 
We understand selfish ambition and vain conceit. That's the far end of this. But it's that little climb in the ladder where we celebrate our own accomplishments that we think that matters. And then we, sometimes we pull that on people. This isn't my first rodeo. I've been doing this for a while. What does that mean, actually? This isn't my first rodeo. I'd like to go to a rodeo where everybody is brand new and see what that's like. Call it the first rodeo. and Just go watch everybody. I bet it's a hoot. But we like to brag a little bit, and we've got nothing to brag about. Our only boast in that mind of Christ is letting go of anything that would get us privilege. Even our victimhood can claim us some privilege. That we kind of have our nerve endings hanging out, and we think that we've got to be treated a certain way. The wisdom of God's Word says, no, give all that up. You don't have to climb the ladder. You don't have to one-up anybody, and you don't have to one-down anybody. We've got nothing to brag about except knowing Christ. Second thing is, notice that in this Scripture, he says, when you change your mind, the way of the disciple, the one who learns the way of Christ is to have humility and to be obedient. There's different ways throughout history that those have not been fashionable virtues. And they have have a way of falling out of fashion even today. And again, none of us would want to be arrogant, ambitious, conceited. But we do think it's okay to hold on to a little bit of pride and resentment. I appreciate Dr. Cole bringing out what he did on what's called the Pareto Principle, the 80-20 rule. Yeah. Um, That doesn't apply around here. And I don't even take... No one should accept the 80-20 rule as a normative description of how things ought to be. It applies in a lot of different situations. But you want me, this, this idea, and you hear it a lot, well, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. You, you know who invented that? I don't know about Pareto, but whoever popularized that was a resentful person. Yes. And they think they're in the 20%. Yeah. I've been there. I've done that. The idea that, you know, I'm the, only, I'm the only one that does anything. I'm the only one. If everybody would just listen to me, then the world would be a better place. I don't preach so that you can get my ideas. I preach to you and me. I'm delivering the mail of God's Word so that we can be better disciples. We'll get to that in a second. But we allow ourselves a little bit of pride and resentment. And, and resentment allows us to get our way without being absolutely arrogant and conceited. You know, if we sulk a little bit, we learn to get somebody to treat us better. If we get a little passive-aggressive, if we act like, you know, well, this is important, this is a matter of principle, and I demand things a certain way. And the, the Word of God in Philippians says that that is not the mind of Christ. Even pride, we'll make pride into sort of a good, positive thing. What about humility? 
And, and I get it that humility can go too far in the other direction, but that's not humility. When we become doormats, when we defer to everybody just because we think we're supposed to, then it, that's not the mind of Christ. You see, when Jesus, and, and by the way, you can back up Philippians 2 with John 13. Think about that scene in John 13 where Jesus takes up the towel. He takes up the servant's role. He washes their feet. It is a menial task. It's the thing that somebody has to do, but nobody wants to do it. And Jesus tells them, I'm your Lord and Master, and you're right when you call me that. But if I've done this for you, do you understand what I've done? Now, think about it. What were they doing before Jesus took up the towel to wash their feet? They were trying to figure out rank and status and privilege. Who's in charge around here? I mean, there's, there's 12 of us, but we can't all 12 sit at his right hand and his left hand. So two of us are going to get nominated and elected, and the other 10, you're just going to have to be on the wings. And they're going over and over that. And here's Jesus, who's supposed to be central, and he is on his knees, cleaning up dirt. For them. Now, we, we don't earn the right to have that kind of pride and then be resentful when somebody doesn't do something for us because, well, I did something for them. Change your mind. A disciple is not that way. The statement about death on a cross, is, it, death's bad enough. Death on a cross is worse. How is it worse? Because it, just doesn't, it doesn't just kill you physically. It kills your reputation. It kills your name. It shames you. It is the death of personality. It dehumanizes the one who is crucified. And, it's, and it makes a symbol, a deterrent, out of anybody who would do that. You are not only erased from history as a crucified criminal, but you are being used as a slogan that says, this empire is far more powerful than you. And so, we get rather annoyed and afraid when we think somebody's going to take away our rights and privileges. We get ready to fight. Now, fighting for a good cause is one thing. But that sort of self-interested fighting even the use of violence, that somehow it's redemptive in every case because we're just protecting what has to be. And we get so many messages about that now that we'll even be convinced that we can fight and use violence in the name of Jesus because He died on the cross for us. Watch out. And I'm telling you this because that stuff in the red column, that's not the... I'm not talking about barroom brawlers. I'm, I'm not talking about people who are just wickedly violent. I'm talking about the little stuff that can take us away from developing the mind of Christ. Now, at this point, if you think, well, he's saying that we've got to be perfect and we can't do anything wrong. I'm not. I'm telling you that this is a process. This is a process of growth that we learn because we are becoming disciples. And being a disciple is not just about doing good works and following the rules. It's about becoming like Christ first 
the rest of it follows. Jesus is the teacher. He said to his disciples, all who want to come after me must say no to themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And all who want to save their lives, there's that fighting for your rights, will lose them, but all who lose their lives because of me will find them. A few years ago, Sight and Sound Theater, their, their performance for two years running was about Jesus. And when they opened it at Branson, they brought the actor that played Jesus from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. His name is Cody Hunt. They brought Cody in, and I remember the interview they had with him. The reporter said, tell us, what is different about playing Jesus than playing any other character? And he said, the difference is, I know Jesus, and he's alive, and I have a relationship with him. He's not just playing the character, he's saying that in his life, he's adopting the character of Christ. Not just character as an individual or a, a person in a play or a story, but character as a mindset, a frame of mind. And Jesus is saying this to his disciples, and that includes you and I if we would be his disciples. Look at what he's asking us to do. Say no to yourself. Now, that's not martyrdom. That's not resentful self-sacrifice oh, nobody else will do it so I've got to be the 20 that does all the, the work that's a maturity that says I don't have to have my way in fact I can have the way of Jesus and let me show you a little distinction again one of these important distinctions if you look over in Philippians 2 verse 21 starting in verse 19 Paul at every point in this letter is using these stories to make a point he says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of others. I didn't read it right, did I? No. Verse 21. Everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. See, being a disciple is not simply, well, i got to put you in front of me. I, whatever you want, i got to put you in front of me. If, if we continue with that sort of mindset and that's all we have, some of you aren't going to get this next reference, okay, but i got to do it anyway then we become like those annoying little chipmunks on the Warner Brothers cartoons where they're always saying, after you, oh no, after you, after you. No, I insist. No, you first. I mean, if we're all trying to serve each other, then, then how does anything get done? But the scriptural teaching is not just me putting you before me. It's about both of us putting Jesus Christ first. I'm putting Jesus Christ's interest ahead of me and even ahead of you. But that doesn't give me an excuse to take advantage of you. It means that we'll even help each other. It's like, are you going through a tough time? Or are you struggling? 
Do I need to save you from something? Do I need to say a hard word to you out of, out of love? Then I will. Because I've got Jesus Christ's interest in mind, but I'm also thinking about you. This is why I preach. This is why we encourage one another. Because I want all of us to stop trying to save our own lives and instead give our lives to Jesus Christ. If we will lose our life for His sake and the sake of the Gospel, then guess what? He saves our life. Jesus surrenders Himself. He empties Himself. And God exalts Him. He trusts that God will do that. Jesus isn't asserting Himself. God exalts Him. So that when the great empire says, no one can mess with us, not even the one who claims to be the Son of God, God interrupts the voice of the empire and says, excuse me, I get the last word. And death doesn't even get the last word. Let's let God exalt us. Let's let God raise us up. And raise us up not just on the day of judgment, not just in the end, but even now. Because by humbling ourselves, God lifts us up to live a much better life. I really feel for Paul, by the way, one of the other letters that we've recently read in our Bible reading is Galatians. Paul has a hard word for them. He says, you, it sounds good following all these religious rules and regulations. It looks good on paper. He says, but you're going to go astray because you're going to put your confidence in yourself instead of Jesus Christ. You're going to be trying to live by the rules and you think, okay, well, I've got this. I've done this and I've, I've checked off this. I'm going to uh, worship every day. I've, I've followed all the steps. He says, but you're going to miss out on becoming a true disciple of Jesus Christ. That's why in chapter 4, Paul says, do you know, I love this translation, do you know how I feel right now? And how I will feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives? I'm like a mother in the pain of childbirth. It's a hard thing to go through, but you know there's a joyous outcome. It's worth it. It's something. I don't think I can relate to that any better than, than Paul could. And I need my sisters who have given birth to children to teach me what that might mean. But any of us who've been parents, any of us who've adopted children, we know what it's like to want the best for our children, and we're willing to do anything to see that come up in them. And I'm telling you right now, parents, the best thing you can wish and work and will for your children is that they will become fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. Be willing to do what it takes to get there. I've even had some tell me, you know what? I'm reading the Bible Scriptures now because I want my children to see me doing that because that's what I want. Amen. That's good parenting. But whatever it is, we're striving for this. Being a disciple means that the mind of Christ, the life of Christ, is fully formed in us. It comes to reality and fruition in us. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. We're going to continue in this series, and, and one of the reasons why I want you to know that I'm preaching this to you is I never want us to reduce following Jesus down 
to a few items that we can just check off the list. Let me conclude with this. Many of us have grown up and we've heard what are often called the five steps of salvation. You've got to hear, believe, confess, repent, be baptized. And thank God we've had some baptisms recently, and those have been fantastic moments of celebration, and it ought to recall for all of us what it means to be baptized into Jesus and what our baptism means. But I remember when, and those five steps, by the way, that was a teaching tool that was created in the evangelistic fervor of the 1800s. It's biblically based, and it's helpful, and it's useful. I didn't know it until later, but those steps actually changed a few times. They, you know, add one thing here. Baptism is, is, is a very important step in that process. But I can remember when a sixth step was added on in my own lifetime, and I thought I was doing pretty good because I remembered those five steps so that I could teach other people. And then somebody said, and don't forget the sixth step. I'm like, wait a second, I've only got five fingers. Where's this sixth step coming from all of a sudden? And it was, live a faithful life unto death. I'm not real happy with that sixth step, because it's not a step. It is the fifth step. It's the fifth step in practice. Living a faithful life is what our baptism is all about. Living a faithful life is discipleship. Because we don't want anybody to think, well, if I do all this, then I can put a claim on God. I've, I've got my resume together. I can put my claim on God. I can brag and boast. And He's going to have to give me eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. And we receive it. And we receive it graciously. But that faithful life that we're living is the outcome. It's the fruit of surrendering our life to Jesus. It is Christ being fully formed in us. And it's not a step. It's a process. It's a life. And you and I will never give that up until that life becomes the everyday reality in the new heaven and the new earth. So, let's be disciples. Pray with me. Father, for those of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ, teach us to receive the grace that is represented in that surrender so that we might fully develop the character and the mind of Christ as disciples. Father, we know that being a disciple is not just learning facts, it's not just following rules, but it is shaping, being shaped by the life of Jesus Christ, our teacher, our king, our mentor, our leader. It is being shaped by His example and His way, so that we might represent Your glory in whatever we're called to do, in whatever sacrifice we're called to do, in whatever service we're called to do, we do it because we know this is a far better way. And Father, I pray that for those who've not yet been baptized, that they will see that that is the first step in becoming a disciple. That it is the way into the life of Jesus, that our life is submerged into your life, and then we are raised to walk in newness of life, and that's discipleship. So Father, I pray for these disciples, I pray for me, and I pray that your Spirit will guide and lead us. It's in His name that we pray. Amen.